this, 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 this show is brought to you by Safety FM. Hi listeners, this is Brent Sutton. Welcome to the 70th episode of the Practice of Learning Teams podcast show. On today's show, I'm joined by James McPherson, who wears many hats as an operational risk professional, podcaster, YouTuber, coach, husband, and proud dad. I like the style that James brings to the new view of safety, so I thought it was a great opportunity to connect with him and talk about the mad, mad world of James McPherson. So, please sit back and enjoy this episode of the pod. I thought it was just a really good opportunity to, to catch up and say hello and see how the mad world of uh, safety differently, uh, new view, safety two, whatever we want to call it, how, how's it all going and, and what you've been finding and treat it like a bit of a year in reflection. Well, a year on reflection, Jesus, that's a, it's been a mad year for us at Rebranding Safety, if I'm honest. So we, um, we probably... I mean, when I started the podcast, what, coming up to three years ago now, we was just, uh, I kind of thought I had the monopoly on, on this new view stuff. If I'm honest, Brent, like I'd, I'd not, I'd never heard of who Sid, like Sidney Decker or Todd Conklin or any, I didn't even know who they were like three, three, four, well, probably about four, maybe even five years ago, four or five years ago, didn't even know who they were. And I thought, God, I've got such a better way of thinking about safety and risk management. I should, I should write a book about this um, uh, or I should write blogs or something. I started writing a blog and I'm really like, I can't spell or anything. So we, uh, I was like, oh, maybe I should do a podcast, started a podcast. And, um, and then we did it for like, yeah, like coming up to three years now. Um, and I stumbled across this kind of safety differently stuff and was like, all right, maybe I should read these books um, and have a look. And then we kind of got deep into that safety one versus safety two new view versus old view argument and now i kind of was like well, i don't really know what it's much so it must have been about a year ago that we did the uh safety one safety two mini series mm-hmm. where like we started off with todd who had a chat with todd but then after todd really we uh, we had todd and dom um so two kind of very prominent academic voices in so-called new view and so-called old view um and then after that we pretty much spoke to practitioners and then from them and i've just kind of read books interviewed these people and then try to experiment it with my own in my own time but rebrand safety has just gone mad so in england i think we're we're still playing around with these things and i think we're still we're still struggling with it which i suppose the rest of the world is as well but ultimately i think we we're ultimately, Brent, is we're trying to we're trying to do something with New View, in my opinion, particularly in England. We're trying to do something which goes against the grain of how we run business and how we manage businesses in in our in our kind of ah, what's the word I'm kind of looking for in the in our the way that we've run businesses for so long have ultimately we've had in blame we've had people being the problem we've had segregation we've had you know all of this stuff silos drain drum drummed into us for years and years and years 
particularly in England, particularly in England, I think there's always somebody else's fault. It's always somebody else. You know, we don't take any accountability for our own actions or anything like that. So when we're trying to battle with this new view stuff, mate, it's a challenge in England. It really is. To the point where, interestingly, it's a funny little story. <clears throat> the other day, I've got a, a about 14 month year old uh, baby girl, and um, my neighbours, really lovely neighbours, come and knocked on the door uh, a couple of weeks back, right? And he said, oh, we've got loads of old, like, kids' books from when our little boy was really young, wondering if you wanted them um for when maggie grows up not oh yeah that's really lovely so we took these books in right i was going through them and uh, had the classic story of noah's ark <laughs> like a little kid's version of noah's ark right now i understand this is a religious story so any of your listeners or if we use the audio any of the kind of religious listeners of my podcast as well hear this nothing against religion you do you man you know whatever whatever helps you 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 do that um but I read, I read through this this book, and uh, well, actually, my, my wife had read a couple of pages. She gave it to me. She was like, "Oh, James, do you want to have a think about this book?" And it had it was blame ingrained throughout it, mm-hmm. like this whole notion of like the world had screwed up and God had punished us. And I was just like, "Wow, we're indoctrinating my fourteen month year old daughter, fourteen month old daughter, before she's even old enough to understand that." ultimately there's more to a story as to why as to why people kind of behave how they behave or make decisions that they make um and and ultimately that put in context for me the challenges that i've been having over the last year at rebranding safety trying to trying to talk about all this stuff it was fascinating and look there's no doubt there's a challenge because i think um that the notion is that a lot of people are trying to um simplify what all this is and, and i think yeah. that, that's where we're going wrong and i remember when i when i first met up with todd i think one of the things that resonated with me so clearly was what he talked about was that it's not about simplification it's about transparency it's about making things more visible yeah and well, how we make something visible and how we simplify yeah. it is very very different hmm and, and I think our whole focus is simply on that. How do you make something transparent? It's, it's interesting because ultimately I do think we have the challenge here of, of this, this whole issue around simplification. We, we as a profession ultimately have an interesting challenge because we have to simplify the message to communicate it to our audience. Inevitably, like the managers that we're trying to communicate this stuff to operational leaders, um, you know, CEOs, they've got so much stuff they're dealing with. And we're going to turn up and talk about behavioral science, human factors, resilience, engineering, whatever you want, whatever you want to call it, or all of the above. And you're going to start talking about all of this stuff, which essentially is kind of sociology, mm-hmm. psychology, stuff like that. And these guys, like, looking at it and he's like mate i've got a degree in accountancy can you just tell me you know when is it one and when is it zero Mm -hmm. um we we have got this massive challenge now of we need to simplify a message without oversimplifying it um and then ultimately stop the leadership from simplifying that message because i am seeing a bit of a trend of kind of new view done in my opinion 
very oversimplified, which I've, I'm kind of concerned, Brent, it just becomes another behavior-based safety. It becomes, it, it becomes, hop just becomes the next behavior-based safety that was not used how it was intended to be used, and it just becomes the next problem. So in, in five years' time, we'll have another somebody that writes safety three or writes new, new view. Sure, and and, yeah, and and sadly that is that is what we call productization. Yeah. So um, I I did a pod I released a pod yesterday, but I wrote an article for Jeffrey Lith on the Safety Differently website um, last year, and, and I talked about the fact that um, why are we not implementing safety differently differently? Why are we using the same traditional safety one techniques? And safety differently, and, and I and I and I use this language, and if, but if we don't do safety differently, differently, are we drifting towards failure? So so it's no different. I mean, what I've seen is a proliferation as as the new view becomes more wide, widely appreciated. You've got all these people offering um, certification courses, training courses. Um, you know, all the same old things that were always done before. They haven't thought about how do we approach it differently. Well, I, I think as well, like they don't know any other. So like for such a long time, uh, uh, well, I say they, that's a very sweeping generalization. Oh, yeah. and that's well, really we can unfair. do that on a podcast. <laughs> just for, uh, yeah. Welcome to the world of sweeping generalizations. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I think, I think that we are so used to productization that it's really hard to step away from that. So I've actually found, and actually this, I got, I got to give the guys a shout out. Um, this actually revelation in my head came from um, reading the safety of work uh, paper by David Provan and Drew Ray. And I think somebody else kind of co-wrote it with them, mm-hmm. but ultimately talking about safety work and the safety of work so eg how safe is the job as we do the actual job installing a boiler for example and then all of the safety work we do risk assessment safe system to work blah 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 observations whatever you want to call them um all of that stuff and how that kind of influences the safety of work and and i think i was really kind of maybe not something I didn't know, but definitely the paper helped me understand it better. Is this separation between impact on the reality of work, work has done, as we would call it, and this other little world of the safety work. And I think it's really interesting when they break down in that paper, they break down kind of work in, the, in, in in the category so you've got like social safety the stuff mm-hmm. that we say that makes us feel safe right so vision zero would fall into that category um lango rocks um what do they call their new view scheme i can't remember uh, next gear uh, next gear at lango rock things like that you're you're kind of sweeping um statements to we're gonna keep everybody safe or go home safe whatever that's your social safety it makes us feel safe we've got like physical safety guards ppe stuff like that mm-hmm. that's easy um demonstrated safety so the stuff that we do to demonstrate to external shareholders and stakeholders that what we're doing eg insurers the regulator things like that and then admin safety like the structures that we have that are administrative that try to influence the safety of work so all of those are influencing the safety work um, but kind of admin work 
provides the structure within the workplace. And it made me really reflect on it as to like, well, this is really fascinating now because when we start to really look at what we're doing, if we approach it with this mindset, it allows us to acknowledge that the world likes their badges. They like their productization of stuff. They like their certificates. Let them have it because we're not going to win that battle yet. We might ultimately like to address that issue uh, later on, like the issues with ISOs, the issue that, that we focus so much on the badges and the certificates more than we actually focus on the impact that we have. But ultimately, we can kind of separate that and say that's demonstrated safety. There's a little bit that it does that impacts the working world, but ultimately it's demonstrated safety. It has a value to the organization because it's helped keep our insurance premiums down and so on and so forth, keeps the shareholders happy, blah, blah, blah. But the rest of the stuff we do is actually about impacting real safety of work. Sure. So I think there's right now to separate those two worlds because I don't think we're going to we're going to impact that that desire for productization, that desire for a certificate and a badge. If I think to someone like um, uh, someone like Edward Deming, who did some you know really fascinating work, he basically talked about this whole language that you're wanting um, work teams to self-improve. Yeah. So how can you create an environment that allows the work teams to self-improve? And every yeah. and every work team will have a different method or approach that they use to self-improve. Yes. Because he's saying it's the um, organic nature of that is what matters rather than following a physical process. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm, I agree. So, make, yeah. so, 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 the issue that we have, and I understand this, and particularly when I think about things like hop and learning teams, people struggle with this thing called the organic nature of it. Agreed. Because yeah. they're used to having these um, fixed frameworks or these categorizations, things that they can see and they can touch in, in, in that space. So, the moment I've been doing an experiment. Um, we're we're looking uh, at at a zero training method of gaining um, a competency with learning teams. Okay, which which sounds quite bizarre. No training or at all, or are these people going in at a certain level of of competence? No. What, so, what are you trying? So 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 what we're doing? So yeah. So so we're not saying go on a course or do this, or, or do something that's very specific. So so the way that we're doing that is we've basically, we've, we've defined what would good look like. So what yeah, what, yeah. Would, what were the things that someone would exhibit? What would be the sum of things that a person would be able to relate to or rationalize? Yeah. And then we're getting people to evaluate where they're at. So yeah. the, what's the current state of knowledge? So we said, here's the future state. Here's your current state. Yeah, yeah. And then we're using an organic mechanism, an organic mechanism that allows those people to basically build their roadmap to move from current state to future state. But at the, si- at the same time, as they move along that roadmap, they can look back and reflect and see how far they've come. Yeah, okay. 
So, so the example that we've been using is that, um, of course, we actually use a learning team. So we're getting a, a group of people together. And through that learning team, we're basically, they're telling us their stories around what they see is what, what, you know, what are their barriers, what are their obstacles, um, what's worked well, what hasn't worked well for them in, in terms of trying these things. And then from yeah. that, we identify a series of themes that come from that conversation. We then create some form activity so that person can now go out in between that and the next session and try something and reflect on that by themselves yeah, then yeah, come back yeah. together as a group and the group group reflect on what they found yeah, yeah. and then from that there's the next series of themes and we keep moving down what's called this pathway yeah, yeah. because every person is at a different level and every, per- every person is going to have a slightly different path it, mm-hmm. so, so, we, so what we've been experimenting with is this whole concept of what we call it um, a cohort mentoring. Yeah, yeah. Where, where our job is to basically facilitate a learning team to understand the key threads and create activities to move people along their continuum and their roadmap. Yeah, yeah. We um. So I in in my in my. In my life, I run, I run, I do lots of things. So we got like Rebound and Safety, obviously, which runs, yep. which is a podcast, a YouTube channel, and then, and then also we we offer consulting services now, which is brand new. This is right. actually the first podcast that we've ever actually publicly announced it. So you've got the exclusive here, Brent. Fantastic. Um, What's it called? There you go, uh, well, we're going to start off with 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 rebranding and safety, but actually, the company that sits behind rebranding and safety, that owns rebranding safety, is is called Riskfluent. Um, so that's been there the whole time. Okay. So our company, is, our group, I suppose, is actually Risk Riskfluent. Um, so the consulting service is actually provided by Riskfluent. But for now, people know the brand rebranding and safety, so we're just going to stick with that, sure. um, and then we'll see how it evolves later on. But anyway, that the point that what I was I was going to make was what sounds really interesting is is another organisation that um, Riskfluent owns. Um, so I built, co-founded with uh, Colin Nottage, who runs IMG, mm-hmm. and also called the interest safety podcast um me and him co-founded mid-covid um never met each other which is a funny a funny story in its own right um we launched a company called project Miletium. Mm-hmm. um so that essentially is founded on the models of kind of like the mastermind communities which are really popular here in the uk um and probably around the world but i don't know um so basically like in the uk Okay, and I think America, I think they're quite big as well. Um, but essentially, a mastermind community is a group of people coming together to help each other solve problems, right? So we, we kind of say, if people go, what is it? I say, it's kind of like group mentoring. It's kind of like cohort coaching, kind of very similar to what you've mm-hmm. just said, right? So we don't go through a particular kind of journey or anything we're not as a company not really trying to achieve anything specific like our aim is not to stay we're going to take people in that don't understand new view and then spew them out as new view professionals that's not our aim our aim is just to help people solve problems so 
it's an open community anybody can join it is a paid community so it costs it costs you to join and we run weekly two weekly uh, calls so you can turn up whenever you want on a Wednesday at 6 or a Friday at 12 we also run like a book club a philosophy call and, mm-hmm. and, and a quarterly event as well but interestingly and the reason why I mention it not not for it to be an advert is because it's really similar to that kind of experiment that you're talking about ultimately it's the benefit of having people at different journey at different stages in their own journey no matter where you are in that journey you still bring value to somebody else that may be further ahead of you in that journey or behind you in that journey it's that cognitive uh, diversity in a way so we've seen this like beautiful emergent kind of development in something that we, we kind of knew would be good, but we didn't know it was going to be this good. Right. In that getting a load of people in in a call every week, and, you, you know, sometimes we have a call with, like, loads of people in, like the whole community turns up. At the moment, we've got 30 members. We've been going about, I don't know, maybe nine months. Um, I think, we'll, yeah, about nine months, nine, ten months. So we've got, like, 30 members now. Um, and then... So you sometimes you get a call with loads, like 15 members, and you're like, Jesus Christ, this is chaotic. And then sometimes you get it with like a handful of members. Mm-hmm. But mine at Collins' job, and, and we've got a couple of people who facilitate calls for us as well, um, like Sam and Elisa have done a really good job kind of helping us facilitate calls. All we're doing is facilitating conversations. You could, in a nutshell, say they're kind of unstructured learning teams. We don't have a desired outcome, but ultimately it's very similar. So sometimes you'll have... A member will come in. We 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 can we've got like a base model for our weekly calls. We have a topic that we might have decided we're gonna talk about, or we might not as a we've got like a private LinkedIn group. So sometimes I'll put on there being like, I want to talk about this later. Um, but then what we do have is an opportunity for any of our members to come in and say, Right, I've had a problem today and I need some help. So we've got a topic, so we're gonna talk about learning teams for example today right but james has just turned up in a call and said i've just had this shit hit the proverbial at work and i need i need some help we flip over into what we call kind of coaching mode mm-hmm. um so we're only allowed to ask questions so everybody in the community is only allowed to ask in the call is only allowed to ask questions of that person for about five ten minutes depends how long it goes just so they can understand more of the context we need to understand the problem you're unpacking you're unpacking it yeah, yeah. so i might turn up and say my boss is a dick right mm-hmm. and then you might go explain to me why your boss is a dick james and then the next question would be like why do you think he's like that and you build the context to your point um and then we can flip into solution mode. So it's really interesting having those cohort conversations. Um, and I think it's unbelievably underutilized in particularly in safety. Um, and I think it's interesting to your point. The reason why I kind of explained that model um, as to why why we kind of talk about that. It's interesting when we flip that over and compare it to training. Um, and, and what you said there in that we're going to, we're running like a no training experiment, for example. I wonder, not sure I have the answer, but I wonder if it's like, it's not an, it's not an or, it's more of an and. Like training has, there's an imparting of wisdom that we need to do sometimes. Like there's an imparting of knowledge that we need to do. And I do think training should exist and it does have a space. 
Um, but I also do think there is a place for cohorts to emerge and emergently emergent to have those emergent conversations and help each other solve problems because what you described to me sounds very similar to what we used to call apprenticeships except we didn't have those cohorts so i'd love to see modern day apprenticeships where you've got a relationship with your assessor but ultimately you're also doing the job and learning from an on-site mentor but then you're also having conversations with a cohort of people that are all on different points of their journey and you're well, you all helping to. it yeah so so uh, so we we call it um learn do challenge okay so you have to take on board a new concept you have to yep. apply that concept and then you have to challenge you have to challenge that concept to understand how and why it worked or how why it didn't work but you yep. need to do those three components uh-huh. But what we've tried to do is that we're doing within a framework. Yeah. So so we've described we've described an outcome, and we've basically said that <clears throat> for these outcomes, there's there's three elements. There's someone who's emergent. There's someone who was competent. There's someone who has mastery of skill across these okay. elements. And and people understand where they're at now. And, and by the way, it's, it's not a test. It's not. It's not a, a study. It's. 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 We've described. We've used descriptors to demonstrate the types of function or the types of um, scenarios or context around those core competencies. And, and a person is able to think where they sit within that frame. Yeah. Okay, so, so, so rather than saying, you know, um, are you the most amazing facilitator? Mm. Well, where's the context of that? Okay, so, so we ask questions around, um, uh, you know, about how you would deal with, with someone in a, in a disruptive group or how, you know, get you to, to think about different components around that to break that down. But the objective here is to basically uh, move people in a in a way where they not only gain that new knowledge through that process of exchanging conversation and also undertaking some form of activity because th- these activities they're not pre-built these activities get created as a thread of an outcome yeah so the challenge for us is we have to create something for for the group for them to see um and what we've also done is we've actually physically produced a journal. And that and that journal also contains those core principles, those core concepts. And we're allowing people through that process of a journal to create an actual framework of reflection. Because we, we take for granted that someone can reflect. I tell you, mm-hmm. that's a big call, mate. That's a huge call. And the power of it as well. Yeah, like but, I don't anyone appreciates the power of stopping and having to think about what you just read or listened to or discussed. Yeah. So, so part of that process is that we're getting the teams to self-reflect, mm. reflect with someone outside the cohort that they have a relationship with, yeah. and then do a group reflection. Yeah. And 
all through this process, what's happening, James, is that these skills are building for people. Yeah. Versus, versus when I think about training, it's come in and be told. I, I, I think of it as an equivalent of water torture. Okay. So we're gonna we're gonna pour water on you and hopefully something's gonna sink in. <laughs> okay. And, and, right. if, and if you don't get it right. Torture works, but yeah, I get I get the analogy. Well, have you you've been on training courses where some bits of it have really been interesting and other bits of it, you know, you you're willing the you're losing I know, I know, your will but, to live? I've probably delivered some of those training courses as well, Brent, if I'm honest. Yeah. And that is because the training course is a blunt instrument. Yes. And doesn't take into account a person's prior understanding. And the problem well, with because they're blunt. Because because a course has some learning intentions or some learning outcomes. Yes. Very seldom do we do any prior assessment of where that person sits within that. Agreed, yeah. Yeah. So so they're quite blunt. And 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 the reason why some parts of the course found you found interesting is probably because those things related to your beliefs. And when the person spoke about things that didn't relate to your beliefs, you turned off. Yeah. But ultimately though, I mean it's a, it's an interesting discussion because in the in the UK the HSE um published a very i think it was quite a while ago now but they they put out a paper that said that manual handling training does not ex does not achieve um improved technique and it does not show any evidence to reduce musculoskeletal disorders or anything like that so basically it, it doesn't achieve what we're trying to do via manual handling training which is improve technique and reduce injuries right that's what we're trying to achieve and there's no evidence in this research just one paper and, and i've only seen to have found one so far this one paper by the health and safety executive who in the uk are the enforcers of our of our management towards uh, the risk of health and safety and yet we're like still doing manual handling training. And interestingly, when I challenged the um, challenged the uh, an officer of that same health and safety executive, I said, "Right, look, you've you've put you published this paper. Your science division have published this paper, right? That says manual handling training doesn't work." That's basically what it said. It, it said that we should, as employers, but it did caveat this point by saying that more research needs to be done. But it said, ultimately, employers should invest in strength and conditioning, fitness, health, well-being, and so on, right? So why are the enforcement agency not reacting to that? They are still requesting sure. to see and train them. And, and, and when I kind of challenged that, they didn't really have a response they basically said if you if we turn up and you haven't done uh manual hunting training but you've just subsidized the gym then we would enforce on you so i was like okay that's not really my point but my, my it, what the interesting point is that that doesn't seem to have sparked a further conversation to challenge the the effectiveness of how we traditionally deliver training yeah. I, I do however yep. and this would be my kind of question to you i do think that an organization does need to sometimes, not all the time, sometimes I think they do need to stay 
we're trying to achieve this learning outcome. Oh, yeah. And, so and that, yeah. Absolutely. So don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm not saying don't train. Yeah. I think there's a different situation here that when I think about how we're trying to help people um, embed the new view of safety into everyday practice. Okay. Yeah. We're taking a bunch of competent professionals who yeah. have who have spent most of their life acting in a expert or a technical capacity yeah. of their work. And we're now asking them to be a facilitator and a change management person. Yeah. See, I think this is interesting then because I think this is where this this slight misinterpretation that I've had of what you were saying is really interesting because that's what I think has happened in this new view safety as well in that my interpretation of yours was this kind of sweeping generalization that training doesn't work and we should have this more emergent kind of way of learning which it has a value but also so does training but to your point the scope the scope was when we're talking about new view safety or safety differently e.g we're talking to a load of competent professionals e.g they've already had loads of training so i think it's really interesting well, they've got that- somewhere they've got to a point somewhere and yeah and i suppose what we're saying in safety and it doesn't matter whether it's safety whether it's quality operational it doesn't really matter what it is these people are having to move between these constant two worlds of being a world of being an expert yeah and a world of being a facilitator and they're two well, different that, mental models. Yeah. And and but the point is we're having to move between them. Well, is it isn't that the nature of work though? With work being a social and technical system, that's inevitable. We yep. we have to what you've just said. A facilitator is social, and and expertise is technical. In my opinion, if we were going to loosely tie those yeah, two just together, loosely. I mean, you know. It's, it's technical and social and and ultimately if we are operating in a social technical system we are always going to have to flip between the two yeah, but the but the thing is that's um i suppose what we keep coming back to how do you build that skill to do that mm. because one thing is really comfortable and one thing is uncomfortable yeah one, See, one thing this- is one thing is really structured one thing is really organic. Yeah. Okay. That that doesn't sit well with 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 people. Does it make sense? And yeah, no, I, loads of sense. I mean, it yeah. makes loads of sense. And and, and ultimately, I think Brent, the the issue is that we have loads of technical people in the workspace, Lo- and and we train the shit out of people. We mm-hmm. build technical experts left, right, and centre. Right. We do it all the time. We don't. When have you ever seen anyone go? That's our social expert over there, or that's our social team. We got here's our technical teams, here's our social experts, or here's our social team. You don't see it. We don't address the social issues within the workplace at all, in my opinion. Or traditionally, we don't at least. No, it, and I think yeah. that's what New is trying to do: is bring social sociology, psychology, or those kind of types of philosophies and practices into the workplace. Thank you listeners for being part of this podcast. We would love to hear your learnings or other topics you would like us to explore about learning teams. Go to www.podcastlearnings.com and give us your feedback.
Become part of the community of practice with learning teams. Go to www.learningteamscommunity.com, support the authors of the practice of learning teams, purchase the book from Amazon.com or go to www.learningteamsbook.com for an inside look and other free book resources from the authors. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system or transmitted in any any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen.